0: mm <laughs> well hello here we are oh i know this is getting tiresome but past five or ten minutes the voice in my head and i have been wrestling with a computer of course they can sense fear you know i'm convinced let's pray in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit come holy spirit fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love send forth your spirit they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth lord you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the holy spirit grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through christ our lord hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus holy mary mother of god pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death amen St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, at least we can go to the big book on the coffee table. All right. You'll notice that yesterday we did First Samuel 3, 1 to 10, and then jumped over a part, went 19 to 20. And today we go to, if I can get to it, we go to the, um, the fourth chapter, the first verse. We read about the Philistines gathered for an attack on Israel. Who were the Philistines? We don't really know. It's quite probable that they were uh, related to the Sea Peoples uh, who invaded the Eastern Mediterranean right around the time, uh, well, uh, around the time of the Trojan War, believe it or not. So uh, uh, they called it the Great Bronze Age Collapse, that, that there were these upheavals, but we don't really know where they were from. But they were quite possibly from the Greek Isles, or there are some people think they were from Sardinia. Who knows? But the Philistines lived in what is now Gaza. Very interesting, though. No? And the word Palestine comes from the word Philistine. And, of course, the Israelites tended to live higher up in the mountains. They, they, uh, they were not as, what's the word? Efficient at conquering all the coast But this is all kind of speculation. But let's go to the battle here. Very interesting. Uh, they, they, remember, we, we have the, the story of, of the vision, uh, or the word from God that Samuel had in which he says to, uh, Samuel, tell Eli the priest because his sons Hophni and Pincus, I was right about Hophni and Phineas, I'm calling Phineas, but Pincus, I think is how you pronounce it in, 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 uh, most, most Hebrew speakers pronounce it Pincus. Well, Hophni and Pincus were his sons. They were stealing from the, <laughs> the collection plate. They were uh, taking the sacrificial offerings for themselves. They were uh, abusing the women who came to the shrine at Shiloh. And Eli did nothing about it. He said nothing to them. He never rebuked them or, or um, took care of the situation. And so God said to Samuel, I'm going to exterminate the house of Eli because he did not reprove his sons. Interesting. No. Well, here's the story of how he does it. The Philistines gathered for an attack and they, they defeated Israel. They, they killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield and They asked the question, why has the Lord permitted us to be defeated by the Philistines? And then they say, let us fetch the ark of the Lord from Shiloh, that it may go into battle among us and save us from the grasp of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought it from there. The ark of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. They didn't ask the Lord if he wanted to do this. They just did it. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Pincus, were with the ark. When the ark of the Lord arrived in the camp, all the Israel shouted so loudly that the earth resounded. And the Philistines thought, A God has come into their camp. Woe to us. And these are the gods that struck the Egyptians. Now this is happening 369 years. I think 69. Well, almost four centuries after the Exodus. And it was apparently still remembered by the Philistines, according to this text. So take courage philistines otherwise you'll become slaves to the hebrews so the philistines fought israel and was and israel was defeated every man fled to his own tent they lost thirty thousand soldiers the ark of god was captured and eli's two sons hophni and pincus were among the dead this is a terrible defeat uh, what's going on here I had a very, very dear and saintly housekeeper years ago when I was at St. Thomas, a wonderful woman, Margarita. I mean, a very, very spiritual woman. And we had a tuberculosis epidemic in the, uh, the Uptown area. So we decided that we were not going to share the, 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 the chalice with people, and we would give communion under only one form until the uh, tuberculosis epidemic subsided. And Margarita was just shocked. She said, God, that's the precious blood. God will protect you from tuberculosis. And I said to Margarita, have you ever walked into the church and noticed what's right up in front over the altar, a crucifix? God does not contravene the laws of nature, except when he wants to say something. And if we use these things in a superstitious way, God is not bound to respect them. For instance, uh, we go to get our car blessed. Well, are we going to church on Sunday? Are we Are we using the sacraments? Are we going to confession? Are we using our car to go to godly places? No, but I'm going to get it blessed because then I won't get in an accident. God won't bless sin. He, he doesn't do it. He, he functions according to the laws that he has made unless he wants to say something in a powerful way. Then he works what we call a miracle. We can use these things superstitiously. All the holy metals in the world and all the blessed salt and all of the incantations will not help me if I insist on living in sin. You, this this, this experience that Israel had with the Ark of the Covenant, using it as an amulet, Pincus and Hophni thought, well, we're the priests, we'll take it out. Doesn't matter that we're living in sin. We're embezzling from the Lord. We're abusing the daughters of Israel. We got the ark and we're priests, take heed. All right, let's go to the gospel, because the gospel is really odd. This is from Mark, the first chapter, the 40th verse and following. It is the strong tradition, going back to the early days of the church, that Mark was kind of an assistant to St. Peter at one point. He also was kind of an assistant to St. Paul. Even though St. Paul and he earlier on in the ministry had had a falling out, they apparently were reconciled, and, and uh, he, he helped Paul out, and Paul was grateful. Now, it is the tradition that Mark wrote his gospel using stories told by Peter. And to me, it's fascinating that in the gospel of Mark, you see a number of expressions in Aramaic. Uh, that's where you see uh, uh, Talitha Kum, little child get up. Uh, and you can almost see Peter telling this story to Mark. I will never forget it. He said Talitha Kum, and that little girl came back to life. Peter is remembering it as it happened in Aramaic, his first language. So, this is the gospel, in a certain sense, of Peter. The. You know, it's a gospel mark, but but that's the tradition. To me this is interesting because it is the most blunt of the gospels, and in today's gospel we have a very blunt passage. A leper came to him kneeling down, begged him, and said, If you wish, you can make me clean. Now, it moved with pity, he stretched out his hand. That word for moved with pity is 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 a form of the word splankna which means guts it's your it's your your you know when you see somebody um, hit themselves uh, or fall off a bike you go ooh that's going to hurt um that's splankna you feel it in your guts and that's the word i think it's splanknistis he 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 felt it in his gut having felt it in his guts he said of course I will. I do. Will it be made clean? Now, that's interesting because the word is clean. Uh, leprosy is a funny thing in Jewish consciousness. It it comes, and, and of course, we don't believe this, and, and we, we define leprosy more precisely than they did in the ancient world because we know more about it. It's, I think, called Hansen's syndrome. It is now, I believe, it's curable now, certainly treatable. But in the ancient... Day, in the ancient world, many, many conditions, many skin conditions fell under the rubric of leprosy and it was a frightening disease. Um, so you were unclean, you weren't able to come into polite society, you weren't able to enter a synagogue and you above all weren't able to enter into the sacred space of the temple. You were, you were unable to pray. Uh, because you, you, there was a moral taint as well, and uh, I don't have time to go into that. But but leprosy in the scriptures uh, was thought by the, the 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 rabbis to have a certain moral taint that um, it was it was a, in a sense a, a spiritual disease as well as physical. Now we don't believe that, but that was the idea. So the leper is asking Jesus to cleanse him. Now Jesus, according to Jewish law didn't have the right to do that, he, he uh, um, wasn't a priest, You had to you had to go through a religious process to certify that you had been cleansed of your leprosy, in other words, not healed, but cleansed. So Jesus is saying, yes, I do, will it be made clean? So the leprosy left him immediately and he was made clean. And then it says, warning him sternly, he dismissed him at once. That's not what the text says The warning him sternly. They use, uh, Mark uses the verb, excuse me. I've got the hiccups now, not only the, the computer, but I do. embrimau mai it means to be enraged. It literally means to snort with fury, like a horse. embrimau mai this is good and gentle Jesus. He's furious and he dismissed him at once. That word is ekbalo. It isn't dismissed is he threw him out. Balo is I throw, and ek is out. He threw him out. What? Good and gentle Jesus got angry and threw him out, and he said to him, See that you tell no one anything but go show yourself to the priest and offer for what you're cleansing what Moses prescribed. In other words, fulfill your religious obligation here. That will be proof for them. Now take out your salt shakers. Take this with a grain of salt. I really believe, thank you, I really believe this guy was a shill. You know what is a shill? A shill is somebody who goes to the snake oil sale and say, I'll buy a bottle of your medicine, sir. Or goes to the, the auction and says, I'll pay $500 for it. That's a shill. He's in the crowd to, to prove or disprove something. Well, this guy, I think, was sent by some Levitical priest to debunk Jesus. I will never forget a a priest, one of my teachers, years ago, I think is uh, no longer with us. Um, He knew that I was involved with the Pentecostal movement, then so-called, and uh, I believe that God healed the sick. Well, he had um, torn a tendon uh, uh, skiing, which is funny because I knew someone who had been healed of exactly that injury. Well, this, this priest had torn... Uh, uh, attended skiing, and he came up to me and said, heal me, because he knew I couldn't do it. I've never healed anyone. Sometimes the Lord has healed people when we pray for him, but, you know, there was a woman who had great faith. She was healed of exactly that injury. He had no faith in what he was saying. He did it uh, to confront me, uh, to debunk me. Well. I think that this was people coming to Jesus to, to, uh, to prove him a fraud, and uh, me, easy to prove I'm a fraud. <laughs> well, at least that I can't heal the sick on my own. If the Lord heals them, that's different. But Jesus was Jesus, Son of God, and he healed this guy. So I think this is interesting. It accounts for the strong language. Jesus was furious, not so much at the poor leper, but at the people who had put him up to this, who had taken advantage of his illness. Again, it's just my theory, but I think it, it, uh, it answers the questions of the reading, because it's a very, very strong word. So I, I just think that's kind of interesting. Uh, and of course, the, thank you, but that's needed extra salt. Uh, The man, you know where that grain of salt comes from? In the ancient world, they thought that salt, being a preservative, could also be an antidote for poison. So uh, that's where the grain of salt thinks. He just learned stuff on this show. I hope it's correct. But all right, moving along here. The man went away and began to publicize the whole matter, and he spread the report abroad so that it was impossible for Jesus to enter a town openly. He remained outside in deserted places and people kept coming to him from everywhere. You know, we wonder why would Jesus say, Don't tell anyone that I've done this. You know, when we, when there's a miracle, when we see a miracle, you know, we put the crutch on the wall and we have, uh, there's advertisements and the busloads of people. I will never forget uh, a weeping icon in the, I think it was, oh gosh, it was in an Orthodox church. I, I want to say it was in a, not Serbian Orthodox, but maybe Albanian Orthodox. It was just a little Orthodox church in Chicago, and um, this icon in the icon screen started weeping, and the icon screen was sort of uh, railings, and it was it was not solid. And uh, I went to see this, and uh, being dressed in a plastic collar, the I was invited to go into the sanctuary where lay people usually don't go in the in the Orthodox churches. But they invited me in, and I couldn't see any tubes or wires or anything. If, you know, if it was a fraud, it was a really good one. The thing that convinced me it wasn't a fraud was when I, I met the pastor. He was exhausted. And I said to him, you look exhausted. He said, when that icon started weeping, it was the worst day in my life. I thought that was, he really was a diocesan priest, but, um, you know, people would come banging on his rectory door in the middle of the night and we've just arrived busloads from, from Nebraska and, and, uh, we want to see the icon and, uh, you know, he hadn't gotten a full night's sleep in months. Um, people are fascinated by miracles and well, I'm fascinated by miracles, but again, back to the first reading. When we look at a miracle as something in itself, I think there's a tendency to take it superstitiously. When we understand the the miracle is about God trying to tell us something, the the amazing thing isn't that the icon was weeping, it was, why was she weeping? What was God trying to tell us? You know, the the miraculous world is real. I have seen too many miracles not to believe in, in miracles. But it's not, miracles are not there for our convenience. They're there because the Lord wants to get our attention and to tell us something. And it's usually something we might not want to hear, like uh, repent. So all that said, we're going to take a break. And the phones are open at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We shall return, and hopefully the computers will function. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com/forester. An Illinois Life Insurance Society. Not available in all states. Hey, nobody, just like this, I gotta be me, baby. Hit or miss. Is this Odetta? Odetta. Oh, have you heard uh, the song "Ain't No Ain't No Grave Can Keep This Body Down"? Yes, I think so. Oh, that's a magnificent song. I I, I had the privilege of saying mass in the tomb of Christ, and there was a bunch of uh, people who kind of come, and <laughs> we end up with a choir of nuns, and it was it was it was just a wonderful, beautiful moment in my life. But I preached the sermon using that song as a text. Ain't no grave can can hold this body down. I remember uh, they've repaired the the little shrine in which the the holy sepulcher is now. But back then it was still held together with steel girders from an earthquake. And I almost wish they hadn't fixed it because. They had to because it was falling down. I mean, there was no way around it. And they found out that the the tomb, despite what people think, it's still there. It wasn't destroyed by Hakim the crazy, as his friends called him, in the year aught one thousand. But um, the um, he did his best, but he didn't manage to destroy it. uh but but uh, you know, the idea that this this cave, this tomb, was rocked by an earthquake, to to look at the earthquake damage was just to me so. So evocative of that earthquake two thousand years ago that that uh, threw the stone out. It just I'm just thinking about the Holy Sepulchre. But uh, anyway, oh let's let's go to letters. Do we do the trumpet yet? I don't think so. There's trumpet. Oh, you get old. You reminisce. This is from uh, Anne Anonymous, um, beloved. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence in God. That is, is I believe John. Uh, uh, 321. And the, let me click again. Uh, help me understand this. A friend of mine says that this verse justifies a behavior that the church thinks is sinful, contraception. To be fair, she's done a lot of research in prayer. She says that in her heart, she believes it's okay. Well, isn't that what the text is saying there? That, you know, if our heart doesn't condemn us, well, let us look at this. And of course, in In Greek, beloved, if our heart does not, what's the word? The word is karegignosko. It means to know down. If our heart, that's literally what it means. It means to blame or condemn us. Okay, well, that certainly sounds like that woman's right. But it says we have... Parecia, we have openness to God. It doesn't say, uh, uh, well, what does the text say, the usual translation? It usually says, Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. In other words, parecia, we have openness before God, if our hearts do not condemn us. That's different than confidence. I don't know why they translated confidence. Parecia means openness. If we know something is wrong in our hearts, we hide it from God. That's Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, we we knew that we were naked, so we were afraid and hid ourselves. Well, that's what's being talked about here, that that, um, are you really being open before God? Then look at the next verse. This verse 21, beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and we will receive from him whatever we ask, because we keep his commandments and do what is pleasing in his sight. In other words, this is the opposite of what your friend said. It's the opposite. That that if we're really open to God, we will receive what we ask because we've accepted his commandments in our heart. And she's closed off part of her heart to God. She's saying, I've decided this is okay. Uh, um, So it doesn't matter what God has decided or what the church says or what anybody says. I've decided. I feel it's okay. Whereas I think this text is saying the opposite of that. Beloved, if our hearts do not, oh gosh, how do you say? I guess if our hearts don't blame us, we have confidence before God. We We have openness before God. So, so forget, you know. In, in a sense, it's saying, forget what your heart knows. Kata genosko would, you know, the genosko means to know, and kata it can it can mean, I think, uh, thoroughly uh, um, that that if our hearts. Um, Know this for real. We have an openness before God. She's not being open to God. She wants what she wants, and she's refusing to obey His commandments. Uh, the first observation of, of human life is, uh, be fruitful and multiply, <laughs> and fill the earth. Well, we've filled the earth. Well, we're emptying it now. So I, I hope that helps. Um, uh, that that um, it's 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 a very there's so many verses of scripture. When we take them, just one little verse out of context, that we can justify anything with them. Remember, an old an old preacher said once that a text without a context is a pretext. I think that's good advice. A text without a context is a pretext. So that said, um, let's move on to another letter. Okay, this is um, oh, this is a kind of uh, this is a, a a question that that. It's a little confusing. A brother went to the hospital with breathing difficulties and died. Uh, I talked to him about heaven, um, and he didn't believe in it. Uh, The day before he passed away, I said the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Uh, It's been a while since I recited it, so it's not the correct wording. But the, you know, remember, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, which is a gorgeous prayer. I love it. And, of course, we'll be praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet very soon on Drew's show. So don't go anywhere. But um, it is a private devotion. It isn't part of the deposit of faith. So uh, um, you know. So you got the words wrong. Your intention. You're right to say the intention is is important. I do not know the last time he went to confession. I don't know if there was serious sin he hadn't co- confessed. Can I rest assured that he is at least in purgatory and not sentenced to hell? Can you rest assured? No. <laughs> You can't rest assured you can intercede for him and pray for the repose of his soul but his salvation is in the hands of god you know most funeral sermons these days are canonization process oh i'm sure uncle fritz is in heaven even though he would get drunk regularly and 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 beat his wife but he did it with with the best of intentions. I mean, <laughs> you're sure Uncle Fritz is in heaven? Oh, yes, he's dancing on the table like he always did with a lampshade on his head. He's the life of the party in heaven. Maybe not. We leave these things to God. I cannot say if someone is in heaven or in hell, but we trust God. One thing that, that uh, I think is very reassuring, no one wants to save your brother as much as God does. God will do and has done everything possible to bring us salvation. And it's him we trust. So I'm a priest, but I have no ability to reassure anyone of salvation. I can. What we believe in the Catholic Church is we can have moral certainty of salvation. In other words, if we do our best, God will do his best, and we trust him. It's a matter of trusting, oh gosh, I'm way off the track and I'm going to, and I'm going to stay there. I remember, uh, when I think it was at the death of, uh, Cardinal Bernadine, I was asked to be sort of the color commentary man with my classmate, Father Mike Flager, uh, on a um, uh, a Pentecostal radio or television program. It was fascinating because, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh the Pentecostals were just fascinated by the hats. Why are they putting the hat on? Why are they taking the hat off? What? The... And I remember saying to Jerry Rose, who was a pioneer in religious broadcasting, um, and I had been told we were off the air, and I, but we weren't. We were on live air. So on live air, I actually said to Jerry Rose. You know, Jerry, Catholicism is more than smells and bells and funny hats. <laughs> that went out on live. But that, that's, I don't know if they asked me back soon. But moving along here, the, I really said that. Good grief. Um, so uh, I got to the, the, the radio station early, and, um, or the TV station, and they had uh, uh, the, the president of a very famous Bible institute in Chicago, which I will not mention. Um, he was a devout, uh, uh, once saved, always saved. And I think he may have been Calvinist and, you know, believed in predestination. But I don't know. Uh, but uh, he was talking about Mother Teresa and what a wonderful woman she was. But if she believed she was being saved by a work, she was going to hell. What? You know, and I, I was trying to make nice with him and talking about, you know, I spoke pretty good evangelicalese back then. And I was talking about, I, I mentioned that uh, an altar call I'd, I'd led at a prayer meeting and, and uh, you know, where he asked people to come up and accept Jesus. And then um, I believe that Holy Communion is a, is a daily altar call, I think, to come up and accept Jesus quite literally. He said, well, at the Institute, we don't we don't do altar calls very often. I said, Oh, why not? Because you might think that by coming up to the altar, that's what saves you. You're saved by the work of coming up and it'd be a false assurance of salvation. I said, so you can have a false assurance of salvation? He said, Oh yes. He said, so then you can't be absolutely assured of your salvation. He said, Oh yes, you can be absolutely assured of your salvation. And I said, but it could be a false assurance. He said, yes. He said, so then you can't be assured of your salvation absolutely assured of your salvation. And he said, oh, yes, you can be. I said, but it could be a false assurance. He said, yes. I said, ah, now I understand. And I thank God I was a Catholic and could go to a confessional and hear those words. I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that I could have a moral assurance of salvation as a Catholic. I would do my best and trust God to do his best instead of relying on some legalistic external formula. Uh, I was just shocked by that, that, that even those people who profess absolute, uh, absolute assurance of salvation in, in the evangelical world don't believe it, that it could be a false assurance of salvation. I was astonished by that. So back to this letter. I cannot assure you that your brother is in purgatory and not sentenced to hell. Um, I can't assure you of that, but I would recommend that you pray for the repose of his soul because to love, to pray for the dead is to love them and love is never wasted. That was long. All right, let's go to a break and we'll come back with our word of the day. And there's lots of lines open, you know, 888-914-9149, 888-9149. We shall return. You can support Relevant Radio in many ways. Joining a giving society, donating a vehicle that you don't need anymore, and now donating a piece of land or other real estate. Donate now at RelevantRadio.com slash property. Ain't no Amen. When the trumpet sounds, I'll be getting up walking around. Wow. What a song. I I just, (laughs) this was the text of my sermon as I walked. Oh gosh. As I, as I stood in front of the Holy Sepulcher, but ah, that's a long time ago and far away pray for the peace of Jerusalem. All right, moving along here, let us now go to the word of the day. This I like this. This is a fun word of the day. You know, this is from yesterday's first reading. You know the story that, that Samuel's sleeping. He's a kid, uh, uh, and, and he's in the temple, and he's serving the Lord, and he's sleeping there. And here's the voice Samuel. And here's a number of times. And finally, the high priest Eli says, if you hear the voice again, just say, speak, Lord, your servant listens, instead of listen, Lord, your servant speaking, which is what I usually say. And this is a really interesting thing. I don't know why I'm bringing it up, but it's just fascinating. It says in the text, as our translation, the Lord came and revealed his presence. That's not actually what it says. It's a fascinating thing. Uh, Let me pull up the the Hebrew text here. Click. All right. The word is revealed his presence. It doesn't say that. It says the Lord came and 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 stood there. It came. The yatzab is the word. It isn't really uh, um, stand. Uh, it's it's to take one's position. It's to, it's to like if you're supposed to stand at the door, you're the doorkeeper. That would be the verb yatzab. That that. He, he stationed himself there. I think that's utterly intriguing that that uh, he he uh, um, uh, he just showed up. I remember an old Pentecostal preacher saying, you know, uh, it's a big thing among evangelicals and Pentecostals to say, Oh, Lord, send revival. And this old Pentecostal preacher said, God doesn't send revival. He, he shows up himself. And, and, you know, last week or earlier in the week, we were talking about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I have been in, in places and in meetings where the presence of the Holy Spirit was so tangible that that people fell into a silence and looked at the door to see who had just walked in. I'm not, can, you know, everybody thinks that, that to be a charismatic, I've heard charismatics defined as people who think God is deaf. And for the most part, that's true. But the most profound moments I have experienced in prayer meetings are the same as profound moments I've experienced in mass. They're moments of deep silence where, you know, when, when, when the, the Spirit of God appeared before Elijah in the cave, he came out and covered his head and was silent. You know, that the, the, uh, the scripture says, be still and know that I'm God. And, you know, loudness may be our response to the presence of God, but don't mistake loudness for God. That God, I have found in my life, really sometimes occurs in the moments of most profound silence. And, and um, uh, that's what's, I think, going on here, because it says he came and took his station and called as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, your servant listens. So if you think you're sitting there in front of the blessed sacrament and I'm not doing nothing, I'm just sitting here, that's good enough. I remember the story of St. John Vianney, the, the curé of ours. I think this was told of him that uh, there was an old farmer who, when he had the time, would just come into church and sit there and, and, and stare at the cross. And finally St. John uh, asked him, when you come and stare at the cross, what are you doing? And he says, well, I look at him and he looks at me. You know, we need in this noisy world to value those silences and where sometimes God speaks most profoundly. But, but that idea that, that God came in and took his station, you know, God is everywhere at all times, but there are moments when he manifests his presence in a powerful way in our lives. And, and, uh, I think that that's to be expected. And it isn't just an emotional response. Sometimes it's very unemotional and very matter of fact. And as I said, very silent. All right. Well, let's move along here um, to phone calls. Hello. You talk. I'll listen. And speaking of talking, we do have some lines open. So you're welcome to call in at 888-914-9149. But let us go to Paulette from San Diego. What can I do for you? Good morning, Father. Um, For you, it's morning. For me, it's almost time for the afternoon nap, but go on. (laughs) I'm reading a booklet on purgatory, and the author Mm -hmm. is Anne, a lay apostle. I would like to know, what is a lay apostle? Well, (laughs) uh, that's someone who thinks that they're an apostle. (laughs) I will never forget uh, driving down Pulaski Avenue in Chicago, and there was a little storefront church, and a sign, Ms., or, or, Reverend Dr. Dolly Jones, or whatever her name was, Apostle, Prophet, Healer, and this whole list of things that she does, said, this woman doesn't need a church. She is a church. You know, that, that very frequently um, uh, we will designate ourselves as apostle. And I, I know of no official position in the Catholic Church uh, that says that, that is lay apostle. There's the lay apostolate. In other words, everybody in a sense is an apostle because the word apostle just means mission, missionary in Greek. An apostle is someone who is sent out. However, I have to ask myself with what authority am I sent out? And there are some people who decide that God had commissioned them and you ask who who confirms that well no one god did well i maybe i i would i would read a book like that with a a, a big grain of salt does that help at all uh, paulette oh yes it yes it does but it has an imprimatur um well, from what does that does that make it well, any more official uh, yes and no. An imprimatur is, means that a book has been examined by a bishop or by his delegate. And what it means is let it be printed. There's nothing in this book that is seriously contrary to Catholic faith as far as that bishop is concerned. That's what an imprimatur is. It doesn't mean it's Catholic doctrine. It means there's nothing harmful in this book. Does that, does, does that kind of explain it? Yes, it you does. sound thank like you me, me Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking no, at I'm snow. You're looking at it warm and beautiful in San Diego. <laughs> yes, wow. it is warm and beautiful, but I'm uh, still in bed with the flu. Oh, oh, I'll keep you in my prayers. That's a uh, flu is a okay, no no picnic. You. Yeah, but yeah, yeah I nice you know picnic. read it, read it, but uh, um, it it isn't necessarily Catholic doctrine, but you know and and read it and you know. Uh, what, ref- what, what, what resonates with scripture and what you already know of the faith. Fine. And if you have any questions, call and ask, I'm here for you. All right. God bless well, Paulette and feel would... better. All right. Okay. What? Thank you very you another... much. Father. Bye-bye. All right. God bless. Let's go to Bettina. Who's calling in from, from, well, that's fine print. Let me look at, he's calling in from Brumall, Pennsylvania. What can I do for you? Yes, I went to high school with Drew. If you want to know where Brumal. Oh, oh! So you're young. <laughs> also, oh, thank you. Also, this caller is reading a book called The Mist of Mercy, and it changed oh. my life. Anyway. Oh, it's so it's a good one, huh? No. Uh, okay, well, so good, good. good to hear the recommendation. Is it okay in adoration? I'm sitting in front of the uh, sitting in front of the host. Also. Praying to the Blessed Mother. Sure, sure. Why not? God, God does not have this. But like, you know, God doesn't have ego problems. You know. Uh, um, okay. Hey, Father Simon, I hate to jump in your show, but I just heard oh, Bettina mentioned she went to school with yes. me. Yes. Okay, oh, this is Drew. Drew. Hello, Drew. Hello Bettina. Hello, Drew. Hey, High I'm sorry. I just walked in the studio. so will ready for my own show. But I just heard you know, Patrick log said, hey, Bettina called. She went to school with you. Bettina, how are you? There you go. Good. Drew, we were probably the only kids in school that had parents that were charismatic. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. My uh, parents very faithful. It's great. Father Simon is too, right, Father? Yeah. I'm um, awesome. one of them crazy-matics. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, it's great to hear an old voice. i got to let Father do his job because I get ready oh, to do Oh, no, she's a young dad voice. Dad I told him she was young. <laughs> all right hey padre thank you god bless true good to hear you so bettina in all of that i think i hope we answered your question yeah it's it's not a problem yeah. it's not a problem at all I mean, so uh yeah the lord the lord we're all in this together <laughs> well, okay. god bless bettina thanks for calling in well that was fun <laughs> okay well let's go to eugene god bless let's go to eugene from chicago Eugene, what can oh, I do hello, for you? Father. Hello. That was a beautiful uh, uh, reunion there between them two. That was Yes. Amazing. Touching. Touching. Yes. Hey, uh, well, what can I do for me? you? Oh, please forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Uh, the mid-80s oh, dear. and throughout the 90s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were mentioning about the weeping icon. I think my mom took me there in the early 80s, and it was around the... Uh, brickyard shopping center The brickyard, yeah, across the, the street from it. the brickyard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Hugh Hefner's neighborhood, so it all kind of fits in, I think. It fits to, uh, together, yes. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's from Yeah, I guess that. I guess there's never been as many weeping icons as there are now and the blessed mother certainly has a lot to to weep about, you know, in 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 the Fatima, I think it was the Fatima visionaries talked about sins that so offend the immaculate heart of Mary and the sacred heart of Jesus. And we don't think of them that way. You know, when we sin, especially sins of the flesh, we offend the Blessed Mother. We're hurting her because she loves us as a mother and she sees what we're doing. You know, so, yeah, I I think you may have a point that there's a reason that these icons are weeping. And, uh, and we need to kind of um, hear what thank the you. Blessed Mother has said. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Thanks, thanks so much, awesome. Eugene. God bless you. Let's go to Michael from Rocky Hill, Connecticut. Father Simon, I love you. you know, I can't <laughs> well, express bless you. enough. But, oh, thank you. I'm on. Of The prayer in the Lord's prayer after I got past. Um, yes. The word, the word and thy, he, yeah. you know, and the other word I was thinking of is trying to find out greater meaning in the word vouchsafes that is yes. in the prayer yes. to St. Anthony. Um, yes. The word die when I came to Hallowood and then the word die where I was found, that seems to have a lot of magnitude. What do you think? Well, yes, it does. Now, everybody, take out your, your notebooks. You are about to get a grammar lesson. Everybody thinks thy and thine and thou is formal. It is not. It is informal. Uh, in German, for instance, we have you, if, if there's somebody who's a, your superior uh, or someone you don't know well, you address them as Z, Zint. But if it's somebody you know well, you call them Du, Dubis. And English did that too. You was formal. It was a plural, and thus it was used as a formal form of address. Thou was familiar. And thy is familiar, and thine, in fact, is uh, Richard Nixon's mother, who was a Quaker, called him thou and thine. Uh, thine is the possessive, uh, uh, or is the uh, it's a it's a. That explains <laughs> the voice. Who my just that explains that I don't know if he was live, but um, thine and thy those are our personal uh, adjectives, and and thou is is a personal pr- pronoun, in second second. Second person singular. Now, the reason for that is because you always call God thou. I remember Martin Buber, a Jewish philosopher, wrote a book, I and Thou. And it sounded so formal. But in the way we say it in modern English would be you and me. You and me. That's, that's the informality of it because God is somebody with whom you can be informal. Now, I don't mean disrespectful or cavalier, but you can be informal with God because he knows you up, down, sideways and backwards and forwards. And you cannot uh, uh, impress God. Uh, that, that's, uh, there's a, there's a, you use the word thou. So I think that's a real important thing. And then vouchsafe. That's interesting. It means to grant someone in a gracious manner, or it can mean to reveal information. In other words, this is a person who's superior to me, humbling himself in hearing my request. You know, it, it'd be as if, I, you know, uh, um, uh, the, the uh, <laughs> I'll never forget when I was a deacon, uh, Cardinal Cody on a Sunday morning called for the pastor of the parish, Father Casey Schakowsky, a oh, great priest. And uh, he said, hi, this is Cardinal Cody. I said, no, it's not. He said, why is it not Cardinal Cody? I said, because I'm a lowly deacon, and Card- the Cardinal isn't going to call. So, well, I am Cardinal Cody. Now, go get Father Shatkowski. <laughs> so, he vouchsafed to speak to a lowly deacon. That's the idea of vouchsafe, and the idea to vouch, you know, a voucher. I'll vouch for you. It it means I'm trusting you, and the the addition of the word safe is is emphasizing that kind of trust that this person of greater importance is trusting himself or trusting information to you. That's what vouchsafe means. It means to lower yourself, to condescend, to give something to someone who, who is not in your social class. That's what it means. So thy, is, is thy, thou, and thine, these are familiar. They talk about our intimacy with God, and vouchsafe does the same thing. It's about God who is all-powerful and almighty, and he still stoops down to talk to you and me. He likes to do it. Does that answer your question? It really good. You've got some really good salt there. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure of those. When you get to grammar, I'm, uh, you don't need quite as much salt. But then moving along here. All right. Thanks for calling in, Michael. God bless you. Now, let us go thank to you, Trip. Father. You're welcome. Let's go to Trip from San Antonio, Texas. What can I do for thank you? Me. Hello, Father. I have a question on uh, purgatory. If we should be working off some of our sins now on earth, um, not so much for our sins, but because of like God's uh, eye view of us. Well, you, you know, I, I have a very odd view of purgatory. Uh, I think it's the same as judgment. And I've met people who died and lived, tell about it. And um, they talk about experiencing all the pain they caused. And purgatory, I think, is the setting up of what has been knocked down by sin. And, and it, it's, it's, you know, I'm going to stand before the light of God. And everything in me that is not light and love is going to be burned away by that powerful, powerful, infinite light. And, yes, I can begin that process now. I can begin the process of purgatory now by doing my best to to be loving and to be generous and to, to care for the poor and to take good care of the people God has given me. So, yeah, we do. And I wouldn't say it's a matter of knocking off time in purgatory, but beginning the process of allowing God to... Remake me in His own nature. That's what the purpose of judgment is. That's what the purpose of purgatory is. I think. So, does that answer your question, Trip? Yes, it does. You helped me a lot. There you go. So, well, good, good, good. good. Yeah, you. You too. God bless you. All right, Eddie. You. Let's go to Eddie real quickly. Eddie, I just got a minute. What can I do for you? How are you, sir? Yes. Are you there? I'm good. Okay. Yes, I I, I, I am. My question, thank you for taking the call. My question is, the 12 apostles, you don't hear much about their family or after Christ, about their life, and things like that nature. Yes. Well, in tradition, you do. You can look them up uh, on the web, and uh, a good Catholic will tell you the stories that are associated with them. But, uh, yeah, we, know, we actually know quite a little bit about, it. for instance, St. John and St. Peter and St. Thomas, who was apostle in of India. So we do know about them a little bit. Those, they're traditions, but some of them are more reliable than others. Speaking of reliable, Drew is coming up.